liquefied villain. Welcome to Cyberdelia. This is David. And this is Mo. And today we're going to be talking about email, security, whatever else is on our mind. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about like, we sort of alluded to this a few episodes ago about being paranoid and how it can be somewhat healthy in the context of programming and then how paranoia, you know, works in the, the whole realm of programming and then also maybe diving into password tools and email if, if we can get into that. It's been on my mind because as as we get more and more devices in our homes that uh, are, are surveilling us and surveillance capitalism is a thing and people are making money on it and we're sort of normalizing the idea with the next generation that they sh- it's okay for them to be recorded and like why do you have something to hide it's not about hiding and so communicating securely and trying to still protect privacy and have private conversations is something that I, I care about. And so I haven't really spent time actually taking a look at the different tools and ways of doing this. I've just sort of over time picked up things that people have suggested and you know, had a cursory understanding of some of these topics. So I thought, you know, this would be a good time to actually talk about some of these things. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, there, there's often the argument that, uh, I mean, as you said, we, we sort of wonder, is, is privacy still even important these days? And so John McAfee, he was saying that privacy is actually essential for society um, because if everyone knew what everyone else was thinking, uh, that that would be, uh, society would, would just collapse instantly. Well, that would be pretty pretty noisy. I mean, yeah. think of the, the noise pollution that would produce. Well, and I know there, there's been, I, I think we're kind of fortunate, Mo, in that we're, we're the generation that was the last one where, you know, our our teenage years, uh, as wild and crazy as they were, ultimately they're they're just kind of lost now to time, and that's actually a good thing. Right, uh, the mistakes that we may have or may not have made in our youth yeah. isn't something that's going to impact our ability in the future, or mm-hmm. or. And so we can leave it there. Your your teenage years or your youth or whatever, any mis- like you could actually have. Uh, an opportunity to grow as a person by making mistakes without worrying about future consequences unless, you know, they were extreme. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, privacy allows you to have a bad idea, yep. not have it spread out all, all over the world, and in a very local manner, yep. someone can say, that's a bad idea. And then you think about it, it's like, yeah, it was. And society's the better for it, whereas bad ideas nowadays can be trumpeted to the other end of the globe. Mm-hmm in you know seconds so, so what do you say okay so if i say like uh, well i mean i'm not doing anything wrong why, why why do i need to care about them recording me i mean you can think you're not doing anything wrong but if, if someone has enough information they can always you know cherry pick the information they need to show that yes you you actually are mm-hmm. you know a thought criminal or whatever mm-hmm. um but even going beyond that like if, if, like, is it, should I care that I can have a private conversation? Should, like, even if I am um, legit, to, like, say I am 100% ethically legit in every level in every way, sh- should I care whether or not I'm being um, surveilled or that I have effectively zero privacy? And maybe we should define at, what at, privacy at the risk means. Of, uh, getting philosophical yeah. here. Um, <laughs> Ethics are not universal. Yeah. And yeah, okay. someone 
may have ethics that are like just totally opposed to yours. Yep. And so you think everything you're saying is fine and they're just gathering more information to, you know, further an agenda or something. So, you know, it's one thing to be consciously curating the information you're putting out in the world. So, you know, and I mean, one of the hazard of that is everyone thinks everything you do is perfect. Um, so, you know, you've got the Instagram photo that's all airbrushed and it's like, I'm always living awesome. And you're not, no one is. Um, but uh, if you're not given that opportunity to curate, yeah, there, there's, there's conversations that you probably don't want to share with others. Like uh, sometimes you have concern for another person and like say say someone has an issue with substance abuse, you don't want to be airing that with everyone mm-hmm. uh, because that that's a very private matter mm-hmm. uh, in many cases. Um, and yeah, you should be allowed to have those conversations without worrying that you may inadvertently hurt someone. Mm-hmm. So like uh, not having to self-censor what you think or say and having that freedom of expression and mind and thought and being able to explore without... Uh, it immediately having consequences or future. Con- I think I was sort of like leading you with that question and I, I may not have hit it um, exactly, but uh, <laughs> what about like the greater community, right? So you as an individual uh, may not be concerned about things that you're doing, but there are people in the world who do need privacy and are in uh, mm-hmm. situations where communicating securely is important. And That's so important. by normalizing surveillance, we make it difficult for the greater community to uh, communicate and in some cases get out of the situations they're in or get the help that they need or be able to just communicate what's actually happening behind the scenes. And so is, is that something that's worth protecting? And yeah. is, is, should privacy be the default? And then I think it should be because uh, surveillance can also um, perpetuate a status quo that may not be right. I mean, for mm-hmm. a long time, uh, homosexuality was illegal mm-hmm. and the privacy was needed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at racism in North America, mm-hmm. uh, there was a long history of a need for private communication. Right. And now we say like, yeah, yeah, that's of course. Yep. But what's next? Exactly. What, what, what wrong status quo is being perpetuated right Today now that we don't see? Because, we don't even see it. Yeah. And I mean, it's been something to see even in our own lifetime where things which were not in the public consciousness were able to be discussed. And you know that those conversations had to have happened in private first. Yeah. Um, So privacy allows us to become a better society in many respects. Um, I mean, it can also allow us to be a worse society. But I think generally it's a good thing. There are very few things, I think, that you can say are just going to produce exactly good. You know, everything has an opportunity to sort of be utilized for many different things. And good and bad is sort of binary. And it's hard to say, like, what's... Well, who's good, who's bad? Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Where was I going here? Okay, so I want to I want to get and talk about like okay, so we've I think we've talked about like why secure communication well, why is privacy important. Matters. So yeah. like, how do I securely talk to you or anyone, David? How can you and I chat securely? And so, oh well, depends on who you're asking. And 
I mean, security in the same way that there is no good, bad security, you're, you have to ask yourself, what's the costs that you're trying to put in place? So, uh, with security, it could be, I don't want my parents to find out, or I don't want my group of friends to find out. I don't want a nation state actor to find out. So you're sort there's, of defining like levels. circles of, um, of circles of groups that uh, you have different levels of comfort in terms of sharing specific information with. Mm-hmm. So let's just go back to like a very simple example. So you and I sitting in this room together in this Calgary, this beautiful library. Uh, <laughs> this library. podcast is brought to you by the Calgary Public Library. Thank you so much. It's gorgeous. It is amazing. Uh, so now can you and I have a private conversation in this room? And if, if not, what do we need to be concerned well, about? There's many different levels of, you know, uh, need uh, for concern. So, I mean, it's one thing. We're putting this online. So, obviously, yep. this is a curated, we want people to hear this yep. thing. But let's say that this was actually supposed to be a, a you know, private conversation. Well, we've got a whole bunch of phones in here. So, yep. um, and using operating systems that we haven't personally audited. So God knows if it's recording us and applications that we, you know, I, I try to vet the permissions on the apps, but I, I don't actually know. I can say that for everyone. Absolutely. And then you've also got this glass window. So using, uh, lasers, you could, um, you could actually get the sound waves that are going on in here. You've got, uh, UTP cables, um, with these microphones. So, uh, you, you could use uh, let's say correlative emissions oh as, as a way of uh, getting getting that information. So like you could be on a different floor and just based off of the radio frequency that this mixer is putting off, you could record that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways we could be recorded. Okay, um, my paranoia just spiked. <laughs> like my paranoia. But, so what a- but again, we're also... This is a curated experience. Um, but like, if, if you're looking for genuine privacy, that's very hard to actually accomplish anymore, um, which is concerning. Um, I mean, there's certainly still ways you could do it. And again, you have to ask yourself, well, who, like, how private are you looking for? Because um, like, you could always put your uh, cell phones in um, RF uh, baggies, like those little baggies that... Um, uh, essentially, it's like putting your phone into airplane in the microwave. mode. You, you put it in the microwave, which is a Faraday cage. Um, but even then, okay, so you need to be in a place where you can be fairly sure there is no uh, bugging or anything, like no microphones. Uh, and yeah, you wouldn't want surfaces that could be, you know, you, you check the reverberations of like the glass. Again, how badly are you trying to keep your conversation private? Okay. Um, and then, you know, there's the classical, you know, speaking in code. Um, and, you know, this is uh, what sort of what led to encryption um, mm-hmm. is how do we communicate in a way um, across, uh, let's say, two parts. Distance of space. Yes. I mean, I would say, like, if you're trying to communicate securely over phones, um, it's not ideal. There's lots of ways that, again, if you're thinking in terms of, I don't want uh, my parents to find out, well, you know, Snapchat is an option, I guess. Um, 
Signal is a great one. I, I would love to see the world use more of Signal. Um, yeah, what's Signal? So Signal was created by Moxie Marlin Spike um, as sort of a secure messaging uh, service. Oh, <laughs> you've got notes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and it's it's pretty good. It basically they want to know as little about you as possible, which I like. It's end to end, which I like. There's a lot to really like about Signal. Some of the problems that it has are really just around convenience and also um, Metcalf's law. So the value of a network increases by the number of people who are on that network. So like everyone's on Facebook, not really because they like Facebook. Facebook's a really bad platform. But when that's how you talk with your grandparents and your cousins and your friends from high school and all that, you're going to be using Facebook. Um, right. I mean, I'm on Facebook. I hate Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Signal is one of those things where the more people who can get on Signal, the more Signal will su- succeed. Um, it can't just be crypto nerds. Um, it, it has to be, you know, your grandparents, your cousins, your friends from high school. Everyone has to be on it. Yeah. Um, and so, like I've noticed in, you know, the change logs, they're trying really hard to make it easy enough for anyone to use mm-hmm. um, while at the same time being secure. Um, and uh, security, you're always ba- doing that balancing act of convenience versus like sometimes it's a bit too convenient and you're, you're compromising security as a result. So I don't remember who first told me about Signal, but I imagine it was someone uh, at the old office. Yeah. Uh, and I, I jumped on it many, a few years ago now. And I remember when I got on there, like it immediately, you have to register a phone number, right? So that's sort of your, the personally identifiable information that you do have to share because you're registering a number with the Signal network. And when we talk about Signal, there's a couple components. There's like the Signal app, and then there's the like the signal like protocol, which encompasses different algorithms for for protecting your privacy. And maybe we can chat about that. I did a little bit of homework, so mm-hmm. I'm going to see <laughs> what but I can share on that. I think we're going to have to take a quick break first, um, and we'll be right back. So concerned that they there's something. Being... No, no, okay. I I just love that it's like okay, who who's paranoid today? <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez, and like I think the more I learn. Especially like in this conversation, which you're talking about, like what sound is, which is vibrations or waves, uh, or radio frequencies, frequencies. Or... It's like, oh my goodness, we, we never had privacy. Even the notion of privacy that I thought we had as a, as youngsters, that we even then we didn't have true privacy. Like even with baby monitors and oh. like talking on the on a wireless phone on the 2.4 gigahertz channel. Yeah, and, like, like wide open and privacy again. Comes who, with, who are you trying to be private from? Um, right. And I think that, yeah. So it's not not that I'm trying to be private from someone. It's that I don't want to be surveilled. There's something on the Free Software Foundation, mm-hmm. the way they described it. I'm just going to just pull it up. I mean, one of the great ironies is like, okay, so we talk about computers. Um, <laughs> like, oh, we want privacy from... Uh, you know, the government and stuff, the government funded, like, uh, A MIT. Lot of these innovations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... Thank you, DARPA. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the internet. Yeah, thank you but, for the internet. like, it, it's good to remember where that money came from. And and that, that dictated a lot of design decisions. <laughs> so we're back. Uh, 
So Mo, you've been reading the email self-defense page on uh, the Free Software Foundation. Yeah, I just wanted to read what it says here, just um, just to share some of the different perspectives. So it says, bulk surveillance violates our fundamental rights and makes free speech risky. Uh, scrolling down a little bit. If you have nothing to hide, using encryption helps protect the privacy of people you communicate with and makes life difficult for bulk surveillance systems. If you do have something to hide, you're in good company. These are the tools that whistleblowers use to protect their identities while shining light on human rights abuses, corruption, and other crimes. So, um, yeah, I think that's important to remember, like, in, that encryption isn't just about protecting you from getting caught for doing something bad. It's about getting access to information or being able to sh help. There's so many different uses for, for privacy that it's important to still respect it as something that's valuable. Mm -hmm. And it's not, um, I, I, I don't want to live in a society where privacy is deemed as something that only criminals do. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, um, I mean, if we think of, we, we don't often talk about data collection that you know corporations do as uh, surveillance but I mean there was that article years ago about Target where they found if if you bought 22 different things they could determine uh, or it was like 22 different factors they could say yep you're pregnant we've got a we've got a 99% confidence that you are yeah. pregnant and, and and they'll send you Targeted, coupon, targeted yeah. email or advertising and uh that may not be something that you wish to share for the rest of your family to know yeah, for good reason like yeah. that that could break up a marriage that that could do all sorts of things that it's a complicated is world unwelcomed yeah, it's, yeah it is a complicated world and people should have the um ability to choose mm -hmm. what they they want to share and when they're ready to share Okay, I want to jump back to Signal a little bit because uh, mm -hmm. Signal is super cool. I, and when I installed it, you register a private number and you're on this network with the coolest of the cool because you you know whoever was there at that time is like, okay, these people know what they're talking about because they're on the network. And after that, it was, it's always fun for me to see someone in my contact list. It's like, oh, person X just joined Signal. It's like, yes. Convert is another. Okay, but let's talk about what Signal is. Um, so let me just uh, read up some notes here because my brain is a little dead. But Signal <laughs> was originally based on the off-the-record protocol. So off-the-record is a different protocol for actually secure communications. Now, the protocol was actually incorporated into WhatsApp for their end-to-end -end encryption. So when, when WhatsApp did their end-to-end -end encryption, they're actually just using the Signal protocol, that Moxie Marlin spike. And, um, and I think there was one other person in the paper. Uh, and Open Whisper Systems developed. Then uh, Signal was then incorporated into Google. So I'm using product names here. I hope that's okay. Like, oh, that's fine. Uh, so Google had a, a chat app called Allo, A-L-L-O. Mm -hmm. So if you went into like incognito mode in Google Allo, it was using the Signal protocol as well. Um, later, Facebook Messenger in, introduced a feature called Secret Conversations that was also using the Signal protocol. <laughs> And then uh, Skype incorporated a private conversations feature, which also uses the Signal protocol. So it's interesting. Like a lot of people are actually using Signal, just not the app. They're using like the Signal protocol, which in itself has seemed to uh, have proved itself valuable in terms of doing end-to-end -end or peer-to-peer -peer encrypted conversation. Now there is like the server component for um, just like the, the Signal app for doing the initial key exchange. 
But um, what's interesting to me is that if if I have a friend or colleague who uses iMessages, and I and I say, hey, you know, I'm I'm not on I'm not in the Apple ecosystem. Can we take this conversation instead of like text messaging, which is like clear text? Mm-hmm. Um, can we just take this conversation to the Signal app? And there's so much pushback. They're like, no, I don't want to install another chat app. And it's like, but you're already using Signal because you probably already have Facebook Messenger. You probably <laughs> already have Skype or whatever, the, you know, uh, WhatsApp. Why don't we instead, the difference between using the Signal app and using these other chat apps, which use a protocol, is those other chat apps do different things around the protocol. Like WhatsApp mm-hmm. actually records metadata around like images and things that you're sending and receiving, and they know who you're communicating with. And, well, and there was also, uh, to, to butt in, there was also a problem, uh, and I think the WhatsApp founders actually left over it, was um, Facebook wanted them to reduce the strength of the encryption. Right. Um, I th- supposedly Why? to add... add um, <laughs> To add advertising or something, but that's a, a little. It's a fishy. slippery slope, right? Oh, absolutely. As soon as you start dumbing down the math, yeah. For you're you're not looking to make things less secure. You're you're trying to make them more secure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not a, a business person. I'm not a leader, and so maybe I shouldn't be passing judgment on those decisions because I don't have full context. And um, but like if if. You're already using the Signal protocol. Why not just install the Signal app and then not let the the, the giants record whatever metadata they can around it? Um, yeah. Although, in the same way that uh, with OpenSSL, you you want to have multiple implement, implementations, right. and so that's a good point. I mean, certainly. Uh, well, the Signal protocol. I, I have not looked at the source or anything myself, and even if I did, I'm sure I would miss a whole ton of stuff and the nuances. <laughs> it's over my head, David, so I'm over trusting people that's smarter than me, and maybe that's a fault of my own. But I, I think, actually, it, it's good to have multiple networks, um, but if all the multiple networks are using the same protocol in the back end, I mean, that's... Say, say someone finds a fault in the signal... Um, implementation. Implementation. All of a sudden... All these different networks have to scramble, um, hopefully. <laughs> right. Um, and just to clarify, like the Signal, uh, I'm calling it a protocol. I'm not sure if that's the right term. But it's been through several revisions, and it's evolved uh, over several years. Um, but I like that. So it's been peer-reviewed. There's actually, if you go to the signal.org slash, I think it's like tech or specs, you can see the papers on the different uh, portions of the, the, whole, the whole Signal protocol. Uh, they talk about their PK or the public key cryptography for authentication, unique shared secret generated for each communication between two parties. They they sort of innovated in terms of uh, what they did with the Diffie-Hellman algorithm. So it's called a double ratchet algorithm. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's now triple ratchet. I have to go back and look at that. Uh, <laughs> but also what's interesting about this uh, because it is using public-private key pair for encryption, is that they, they found a way to do it asynchronously mm-hmm. and for groups. Like, if you think about that, like group chat securely, where each individual has a public key and has to receive that same message so that only they can read it, that's interesting. Well, that would be, I, I mean, I do imagine that would sort of limit the size of a group chat too, because once you get... 
above a certain uh, number. Sheffold. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, for, for those who aren't familiar with Sheffold, Sheffold is a tool. Um, Did I guess correctly? Is that what you were thinking? That's exactly what <laughs> okay. I was thinking. So once you end up with hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of keys that are used to uh, encrypt new objects, it gets very computationally expensive. Um, so that, that is something to consider. But often group chats are never more than like... 10, 15 people. So. And I think we'll have to dive into the white papers to actually see if that was a consideration. Um, I'm going to assume it was, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's worth diving in. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I, I'm just going to keep touting Signal until somebody smarter than me tells me of the next thing. Uh, but <laughs> I like that the protocol is uh, starting to gain more adoption, and it's been through several versions of improvement. It's also funded by a nonprofit, so it's not like a commercial entity that's backing this thing. Mm. Um, and so the actual Signal app is it comes from Open Whisper Systems, which is the, the nonprofit behind uh, the development and improvement of Signal and its platform. Now, the, the the downside I think with Signal, there's a few downsides. Like, first, you need a phone number. Yeah. Right, so right there, there's like personally identifiable information, and mm-hmm. so you once you register that number with the network, um, you generate a public-private key pair, and you have to keep your private keys uh, safe. And the public key and the servers are used for exchanging the the public keys for the initial exchange between two parties, and then you can even do an in-person verification of that key by doing the the barcode or a QR code scan, which is which is nice. But having to have a phone number. T- means like you do need a certain level of privilege to be able to access the network. Absolutely. Uh, in some countries, uh, Japan actually is one, uh, you need to have an address to have a uh, phone number. And so if you're visiting Japan, one of the things you have, you do uh, is you get a SIM card that will give you data so you, you can get around and you can use Skype and stuff to call, but you can't actually get a phone number. Um, so there's certainly that. And then also say you're in an area that doesn't have cell phone coverage for whatever reason, and you're restricted to landline phones. Well, that's going to be tricky. Um, Also, if you leave the network, you have to remember to deregister your phone number from the network. Yes. Otherwise, uh, um, well, this this has been an issue for me where I I convinced a friend to join (laughs) Signal, uh, and uh, that person decided to leave the network. Uh, and uninstall the app, but didn't actually deregister their phone number. And so when I continued to send the messages over the Signal app, which is my default SMS app, um, they were not receiving it because they were being held on the Signal servers, and that person wasn't actually logging in to get their messages because they weren't using the app anymore. Yep. And so it wasn't I wasn't sending via SMS because they was choosing that. So And then also, phone numbers can change um, um, ownership. Yep. Phones so, can change. So, uh, I mean, when I upgraded my phone, that meant, okay, so everyone needs to know that I'm now on new equipment, uh, right. <laughs> which I mean, I'm glad that they do that, but I, I mean, as we were talking about it, when you weigh that convenience factor versus security factor, a lot of people, well, first, a lot of people will just click through anything that you put in front of them, <laughs> uh, don't tell me know. this. I want to assume the best in people. 
Uh, I'm sorry, Mo. Uh, the best in people usually means clicking through things that they don't understand. No, no I don't um, believe you, David. Not at my house. <laughs> and uh, and then also there's people who the second they hit any any form of inconvenience, so uh, a network outage or uh, you know, oh the the app crashed one or two times. Ah, I'm done, mm-hmm. and they'll just leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they'll have this sour taste in their mouth, and to get them to come back takes uh, takes quite a bit. And so, in some ways, like because I know a few people who've left Signal, largely because of you know convenience concerns, and it was just like, well, I've got nothing to hide, and mm-hmm. all my friends are on Network X or Network Y. Yeah. Be- because they don't have the same resources uh, to to put into it that like a corporation that has billions of dollars, yeah, they're always playing at a disadvantage. Yeah, that's and that sort of leads me to wanting to chat about a specific network. So, <laughs> <laughs> which network is that, Mo? Well, the network that seems to be focused on vendor lock-in the most. And for, for for your um, hardware mm. and now your communications. I, I got to tell you, when uh, my kid got the iPhone, I was like, okay, this is fun. We got to give this a try. And I and and I I want. I think it's important to try out different platforms, different tools, mm-hmm. and don't don't get uh, stuck on one. But all of a sudden now, um, being in the iMessage club yep. changes everything. Right. So for our communications with her, I'm like, well, maybe, you know, let's install the Signal app because I still want to talk to you over Signal. And so we got the Signal app on there, but it's not the default SMS app. So we're like, okay, well, let's figure out how to change the default. How do you change the default SMS app on the iOS? I don't know. You can't. Oh, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) That is terrible. So um, I don't know. To me, that reminds me of Internet Explorer. And Windows, mm-hmm. and uh, that's unfortunate. So you can have Signal installed, but you can't replace the default SMS app. So it, it's it's always going to be second class in iOS mm-hmm. and iMessage. Uh, once you're in that club, it's so hard to leave because everybody you know is in that club, and when you leave, you're no longer part of the group chats and. Uh, you don't get those animoji faces. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about because um, I haven't seen them. Oh, so. Uh, Animoji is essentially they take a picture of your face and then overlay this animal on top so it looks like you're a lion talking on your oh, phone. Oh, yes, I've seen this. Um, Which uh, I'll admit is, is very it, fun, yeah. but uh, it doesn't really contribute to the progress of humanity. <laughs> that's fine. You know, fun is progress, fun right? Is, fun is fun. Well, uh, can't be serious all the so time. So the one, uh, one Easter egg on iPhone is if you type Happy New Year to someone on New Year's Day, I think, or maybe it's all the time, I, I haven't tested, it will shoot little fireworks on your phone. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> you know, those little things that delight, thing. they're, they're, I love that. I do love that. Those special things. I think that was sort of what drew me to Apple in the first place. Mm-hmm. Those little details. But, uh, I mean, you don't want little details, but the big details are all sort of, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which uh, we'll, we'll we'll get back to in uh, the next segment. But uh, 
yeah, let's uh, stay on track here. So, uh, yeah, and so I think for for me, like today, that the the tools that I use for secure communication on my phone is Signal, Keybase, and that's about it. That's that's the best that I can do. Like I don't know what else I can use. That's that's going to give me that level of privacy or a level of privacy that's above clear text, uh, you know, text uh, text messaging. Um, now, I guess this sort of goes back. I, we need to talk a little bit because we talked about public key crypto where uh, we've each party has a public private key pair and they exchange public keys with one another so that uh, for one thing they can, uh, if, if I have your public key, I can send you a message and encrypt it with your public key so that you can decrypt it with mm-hmm. your private key and only you can read the message. But on the other side, if you send me a message and, and you encrypt it with your or if you encrypt a signature uh, of that uh, message with your public key, I can decrypt it with, um, hang on, how does that, you encrypt it with your private key, and then I decrypt it with your public key to verify the signature. So it's like the inverse. It's the same two keys. One's used for encryption, and one's used for signature generation. So, like, it's it's interesting that how simple that it, well, as well, I described, it's simple. simple. But, like, when we get to the math, and I'm lost, elliptic curve, and... If, if I've learned uh, anything about human behavior uh, in the past few years involving security, sorry, if a, simple. <laughs> if a five-year-old can't understand it, it's just not going to be uh, right accepted in the same way. Uh, and so, for encryption, PGP has been around since the '90s, and it's actually still really solid, um, which is amazing. But there is so much complexity in the process. And also, it doesn't help that the, that the tools for using PGP are, are, or GPG um, are, are not easy to use. Yeah. They're it, not straightforward. There's a learning curve that's steeper than just getting through an install wizard. And if plain text email works, people will just use plain text email. Right. So, so let's talk about PGP. Uh, what is PGP? Well, PGP is short for pretty good privacy, um, and GPG is, I believe, the GPG or is the GNU implementation of PGP. It's, GNU I think they, Privacy Guard. Yes. Um, oh my gosh, David, <laughs> you remember this stuff? <laughs> oh, I, and I mean, I have very few problems with uh, GPG because I've been using it for years and years and years, and. Uh, especially uh, if you work in the security industry, you're just kind of expected to use it. Um, that being said, it, once you try to describe how to use PGP to like encrypt the file or something, I mean, I, I've seen people who they've got computer science degrees. These are s- smart people. You got to crack open the man page. I got to crack open the man page. They're not having fun. They just want to send you the stinking file. They don't care. Um, yeah, take your time. What's the rush? You know, don't don't rush yourself. Well, you know, I I agree, and I I think it is good to learn these things, but there is definitely a failing in how we try to put security into these systems. Um, and so, PGP, it, it's really good in the sense of well, if if you look at what the alternative was at the time, there really wasn't anything. Um, I, I didn't look into what was it called S mime. Uh, yeah, so what S mime is is a um, 
So you're using X509 certificates. So generally, there's a CA involved, mm-hmm. which is someone saying, this, this, this certificate you have to trust. And in the corporate environment, that's fine because you, you assume, okay, so... They own your computer so they can install the CA for you anyways yeah, for the most part. So, the root trust store. Yeah. They so if, if they want to... <laughs> yeah. If, if someone wants to check your email and that organization, you're implicitly giving that trust by using uh, S-MIME. PGP is based on the web of trust model. So say you sent me your PGP public key and... You know, I through a, a second channel that's not just email. Like, okay, yeah. Mo, you're looking at my a different phone secure or communication my channel. Yeah, a, a different secure communication channel. Okay, yes, I've confirmed that you are who you say you are, and I can use that to start building up this web of trust. Because if you say, "Hey, I I trusted someone else's key, and that comes from you," though, well, I already trust you, so it's easier for me to trust every key that you also trusted. So another way to say is like, David, I trust you. So if you bring a third person to a coffee, I implicitly trust that person because you trust them. Exactly. Um, and, and so those are two very different models, but um, the aim is still the same. But the problem is email was not designed with security in mind necessarily. Um, and uh, that, that's very clear from reading the RFCs. And it, it's certainly not the fault of the people who invented email and I say people not person because uh, depending on who you ask that that ends up being a different person every time oh uh, I don't know this history so I'd... oh email is the Com- history of email is complicated and the more you look into email the more you're surprised it works at all it, it's sort of like a cockroach it, it'll be around forever but it, it's not pretty <laughs> don't look under or don't look behind the curtain or yeah and and so when you've got a system where security wasn't baked in from the start, such as email, people will generally regress to whatever just works and gets the job done. And in many cases, that means unencrypted. And again, if you if you combine that with the attitude of I have nothing to hide, you end up with, okay, so 90, 98% of all email traffic is unencrypted, 2% is, well... Probably that 2% is the very interesting traffic that, that people would want to decrypt, right? Uh, so it's, it's important for everyone to use encryption also in the same way that um, vaccines only work if everyone, the community. Is, if the community is all trying to get vaccinated. Right. So, um, so this is what we're, we're working on this right now, David, mm-hmm. by trying to increase the level of education yeah. for people out there. And hopefully this makes it easier to use tools yeah. uh, if you have nothing to hide then you should definitely use encryption uh, because you are enabling people who are probably fighting for human rights um, or other you know good causes uh, you're increasing the cost of actually getting that information because now your your information has been added to it yeah this is a touchy subject I think because uh, there's uh, so many dimensions to it. I think I'm in violent agreement with you, though, David, on this topic. Uh, I do want to unpack PGP and GPG a little bit more because mm-hmm. I will admit that I haven't used GPG for as long as as you have. 
In fact, my first experience with GPG was probably in 2013 when I was asked to provide my GPG public key so that I could get my <laughs> VPN credentials. <laughs> All right. oh, and I, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let me crack this open. And for the most part, it was super easy to use. I generated, I think at that time, was like a 2048-bit uh, key. I exported the public key component using Armor because so, by default, it's like a binary file. So by Armor, you like ASCII encode it so that you can actually exchange it over uh, like email or some other mechanism. And then from that point, I received my VPN creds and they were GPG encrypted with the public key that I just provided. And I GPG decrypted it, uh, which was really straightforward. It honestly didn't take that long. I think it was maybe about a half an hour of reading through the man page and I think the GPG manual online. And for the most part, it was pretty easy. What I didn't really understand, which I always sort of knew, is like anytime you're creating some sort of like private key, whether it's SSH keys, you know, keys in this case, you want to keep them secure. But how do you keep them secure? And, and, <laughs> and how long do you keep these keys? Like, what, what is the good expiration for this? So I'm quite sure when I generated that first key pair, um, I don't know what I chose for the expiration. And I, I probably chose a default. And I'm guessing the default is never. And it never really occurred to me, <clears throat> like, how do I, like, what do I do with this key now that I have it? It's like, okay, you've given me another key to add to my ring of keys. Well, I don't know which keys for which. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I didn't take it too seriously. It wasn't until like the last few years where I started to um, really start looking at GPG and the importance of those keys and what you can actually do with GPG, because there's quite a bit of other tooling that sits on top of GPG. Um, and, okay, so let's back up a little bit. So PGP... I just said like a couple different acronyms and I've, I was always confused by this, like PGP versus GPG. I'm like, which one should I be saying? So PGP or open PGP is the standard mm -hmm. for, um, for actually uh, encrypting, decrypting, signing and key management for communicating primarily over email, as I understand it. And GPG is an implementation of open PGP using the open um, encryption standards, the like non- uh, I forget what the right term is, like the non-encumbered encryption uh, algorithms. So it uses all the open algorithms. So it's GPG is an implementation of OpenPGP, just getting rid of all the stuff that you have to pay for or, yeah. or that are, are, you know, encumbered by a company. So now, okay, so now GPG is the free tool I can use. So what can I do with GPG? What, what else can I do once I have that key? And what should I be doing with that private key? And, and, what, what am I doing wrong, David? Oh, well, so one common use of uh, GPG is uh, software vendors in order to show that, yes, this, uh, this software artifact that we produced, be it an RPM, be it a Windows executable, whatever, yep. you can sign against that. And someone who has verified, um, okay, yes, this is, in fact, Red Hat, Okay, we now know that these packages were in fact delivered by Red Hat. And they weren't altered in any way. Nobody injected malicious code or made modifications in transit. Well, like, unless you're Ubuntu and you're doing like curl within, in the message of the day. <laughs> like, well, I mean, so th this gets into a very complicated argument about supply chains. So oh, neat. at what step are you actually? Um, because if someone has poisoned the build chain right. leading up to the artifact, well, then they're signing an artifact that was poisoned. And so they're saying, yep, everything's good. But 
Yeah. Does anything matter if the processor in my phone is already owned? Well, uh, like, what, what what more can I do now? Like, anyways. Well, I mean, it's it's very easy to take a pessimistic view of security. Um, oh yeah, sorry. I'm I'm I, I don't want to steer people oh, in that no, no, direction. No. Um, and uh, I mean, certainly. It's uh, not a great idea to put a lot of faith into technology, especially when it, it's not just uh, in some cases you're legally not allowed to understand how it works. Um, Sorry? Well, so in the U.S., there's the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Um, so there's that. Um, and then other things where, I, I mean, the field is just so incredibly vast. And, I mean, you... You can work in security and learn something new every day. There's always some exotic new way to break something. Um, I think that's important what you just said there, that you can learn something new every day. And mm-hmm. that is the journey. That's that's why we want to increase our body of knowledge is because we're not going to be 100% secure. But the pursuit of it mm-hmm. is, is is the part that makes us all more secure. Absolutely. And I mean, it's it's good to understand your history and good to understand why decisions were made because, I mean, encryption is, okay, well, this is a computationally complex thing to undertake. So like uh, we talk about factorization of primes uh, and stuff. Uh, so if you look at Moore's law where computers are, um, what's it, doubling in transistors every uh Every three years, I, I forget the exact law, but basically, com- you can think of it as computers get more and more powerful over time. Security measures that were perfectly adequate in 1995 and 2015 are no longer adequate because computers have just gotten faster. And so, like, okay, so let's unpack that mm-hmm. because the I think what you're saying is that in 1990. The computing power that we had at that time, if you took the best computing power at that time, you could not brute force or undo or like figure out the private key component of a public private key. It would take decades. It would take decades. But now if I take a key that was generated that was good enough in 1990 with today's compute power, I can brute force or do some sort of computation to basically break that encryption. Mm -hmm. And, And I mean, algorithmic weaknesses keep getting found. The more... The more you look into security, you realize that it has always been a struggle. That has never changed. Um, there has never been the unpickable lock, as it were. Um, and that's why it's, it always helps to, in your mind, be making those trade-offs of like, well, how important and for how long? So that's secure enough. Like every time you update your Fedora installation, it's, oh, here's the new set of GPG keys. Well, right. it's because if... And if an attacker has enough time, yeah, if an attacker has enough time, then keys that were secure one year are no longer secure and someone could make uh, another set later. So you have to keep rotating that. And so to go back to PGP, uh, w- one of the problems with PGP is it allows you to be using a key for a very long time. Right. So anything that was associated with that key or used to encrypt or uh, mm-hmm. decrypt that key uh, can then be decrypted if that, I'm yeah. sorry, I, I'm speaking over you, but then could it be decrypted once if that key's ever compromised? Yeah, if, if they compromise that key, hundreds and hundreds of messages, how, however many messages you sent with that key are now all 
easily readable. So if we decrease the amount of time that that key is in use, we also decrease the amount of exposure and that key could uh, be used to decrypt if it were ever compromised. Exactly. So we're reducing our exposure by creating a smaller uh, window of time where it's actually used. Mm -hmm. So then that's when we talk about key rotation. Yes. And so, okay, so I, let's say in 20, back, let me talk to Mo in 2013. And Mo, uh, past Mo is talking to current Mo. <laughs> and past Mo is like, okay, um, I was asked to create this GPG key thing. What should I use for an expiration? Um, wh what should I do, future Mo? Future Mo would say, I don't know, let's say, let's make it five minutes because the key exposure, no, or let's make it a year. What's the magic number? And what should I be, what should past Mo be thinking about? There is no magic number. Right, okay. Um, but there, there are things like subkeying. So essentially you create a key that you keep very secure. Um, so you know, This is you, like the master key and then you mint subkeys from the master key. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so that... Uh, does sort of make the key exchange process easier. But again, if we're thinking of this has to be something that just works and it has to be something simple enough that someone who doesn't deal with it. So how does someone in accounting deal with this? Um, and and I, I'm not picking on accounting. I'm just putting an example. Someone who is not... Uh, this isn't their core domain. They don't want to spend time reading the man pages. They just want to be able to communicate, do their job effectively, but do it securely. Yeah. Uh, generally, they've got better stuff to do than subkeying. So, so that's sort of one of the flaws of PGP and, in some ways, the web of trust. The complexity. The complexity. To get in and use it. So. Okay, so when I run gpg-list secret keys or list public keys, I, 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 I think I can recall four lines for each key. Something to mm. be, not four, but it'll depend on the number of UIDs. But it'll be like the parent key, which is the, it's got the, the algorithm use RSA plus the key size 2048 or 4096 mm -hmm. and some expiration or never. And then there'll be a set of UIDs and each UID can be like an alias or an email that's associated with that key. So I can have uh, mo at one.com, mo at two.com, mo.three.com, all associated with that parent key. And then underneath that, there'll be something like sub and that's the sub key that I'm sharing because it was uh, it's associated with the parent key but its expiration is going to be much smaller than the the parent key, so I, I will rotate that subkey more often. Is that is that right? Is that what uh, some without a terminal in front of me? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm gesturing with my hands well, as if you can see this terminal. In the so sky. I mean, there is one neat trick that you can do with uh, PGP. So you can actually embed a picture into a PGP key. Yeah, I, uh, I just saw that. Which uh, it does lead to a massive public key. So, uh, you know, use that sparingly, but th that is an option. Um, and, and one other thing I will point out, and uh, so this was a problem with PGP. And again, we talk about uh, complexity over time and how what, what was adequate for 95 is no longer adequate in 2015. There was a tack called, I want to say Evil 32. Mm -hmm. um, and what that was, was you could generate another key that matched a 32-bit fingerprint. Um, oh, you could have a fingerprint collision. You could have a fingerprint collision. And so the recommendation of oh that was, goodness. okay, you have to change to 64-bit. And that's fine for now. But at some point, I imagine we'll get to, okay, someone's getting a 64-bit fingerprint collision. And there's a collision there. And, and, and that's dangerous because the fingerprint is meant to be the unique 
identifier for that key. So if we have a collision, mm-hmm. well, who do who's the winner? Exactly. Okay. And then <laughs> this is also the problem with like SHA-1, right? I think we've had one or two collisions now that have been published. Uh, one that I know. There was the shattered attack, which uh, Google, where they, I mean, they've got an impressive amount of computing practice. Yeah, it was Google Docs or something that they got the, the collision. But a lot of things use SHA-1. And you know, different things use SHA-1 for different reasons. Uh, so Git uses SHA-1. Because uh, collisions there. Yeah. And it's not to say it's impossible to do a SHA-1 collision. Um, but uh, in that case, they're not, they're not using SHA-1 for security reasons. They're using it as a hashing mechanism only. Um, and so... And that's the commit ID. That's the that's commit, the commit ID. Yeah, so when we yeah. say the git hash, that's the SHA-1 for yes. the, the actual blob, the commit. That's a, mm-hmm. um, and, and so that's, this is sort of a segue, but like when we talk about rebase or even git commit amend, yeah. we're actually changing the commit and therefore it changes the signature that's generated for that commit, which produces a new commit ID because of the SHA-1, right? Yep. Um, just a it's why I never force a uh, git push like that's it's just bad don't do it okay um, so let me ask you a personal question uh, rebase or merge with no fast forward uh next question <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 uh, yeah <laughs> I, I don't want to incriminate myself. <laughs> yeah. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Well, um, I've been blabbering on and on and on. And, and I, want to, I want to share some goodies. So there's a few things that, um, that comes for free, I guess. Not for free, but that sits on top of GPG. So we, we've talked about how like GPG, if I install GPG, I can generate a private public key pair. We need to think about things like key rotation and keeping those that key secure. But then there's also like sharing the public key with others. And we, we talked about having a side channel, a secure side channel to be able to share that public key. And so uh, I want to talk a little bit about key servers and, and key signing parties and I've never been to one of these parties, but they sound amazing. Oh, all the coolest people come to the keys. Well, I'm parties. obviously not cool, so I haven't got my cool kids club, club card yet. Um, uh, we'll, if we'll it, if it makes you feel better, I've, I've never actually been to a party. It's usually just a bar and someone says, hey, here's my key. Oh. And we never use it. So uh. <laughs> I, I always think it's so cool when I get to scan someone's QR code from Signal. I'm like, yes. Oh, oh <laughs> man. Let's I, – I, I can – QR codes are, are uh, well, that, that's a different subject. Oh, okay. no, so I'm not talking about QR codes in general as like a mechanism oh, for yeah, sharing. Yeah. It's just the, fun the to know that I've exchanged has, yeah. a key pair with somebody. Absolutely. And, and I generally trust the QR codes that Signal is uh, creating. I mean, yeah, like the same things we talked about with uh, radio frequencies. Yeah. and Don't just scan random QR codes that you find on the street, people. That's <laughs> such a bad practice. God knows what you're going to find. Um. <laughs> oh, geez. You're so right, actually. I need to... That, that QR code uh, <laughs> app on your phone is a dangerous gateway into, uh, yeah. into who knows what. That's uh, can, actually It can load thing. malware. It can do... You don't really know what a QR code is going to do. And so that's why... Uh, be careful of the QR codes you scan. So this podcast is sponsored by Moe's QR code app. Download <laughs> Moe's QR code app. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Next to Moe's Bitcoin mining. (laughs) I got to retire too, David. Uh, I'm never. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. Um, okay. So let's say I go and set up GPG. Well, now I can use it with uh, different mail clients. So if uh, uh, I've been using Mutt quite a bit more recently, and Mutt's pretty nice because you can define configuration. It still connects to you know Gmail, but I can have in my Mutt configuration, um, I can have a subshell process that will actually pull out my Gmail credentials from a program called Pass, and Pass is now my default password storage which also uses GPG uh, underneath it to actually mm-hmm. store my credentials and other data in just in, in simple files. Um, for the longest time, I used KeePass and then KeePass X. And, and that was nice because you had clients for the different phones. You had a, a GUI client for uh, your desktop. It mm-hmm. was cross, I think KeePass X and the KDBX database was cross-platform. I can't remember which one yes, was. Yes, it is. Okay, yeah. There was one that was like a binary database and the other one was like an XML-based and I think it was the XML-based database that was um, uh, that made it easier to port from one um, operating system to another. And so I had been dragging this KeePass database along from my days in Windows to Mac to now playing in the land of Linux to now just realizing, you know what, Pass is more than enough, right? Pass is simple because it's just it creates a pass tree, which is just like a file system. Mm-hmm. And I can move files wherever I want, and all my secrets are stored right in pass, and it uses my GPG uh, keychain. So I can encrypt and decrypt with pass. Now, what I've never done, and I'm curious to do, is like to see uh, what other password storage mechanisms exist out there that are command line based, that depend on some of these tools, but also work in a sort of group environment, not just an individual. And the reason is because I'm starting to think more about like, how do I pass on these credentials to the next generation, mm-hmm. to my significant other, to my children? And and I, I don't want to be locked into a specific vendor where I have to pay $1.99 per month or something. And I don't know if they're going to be around in 10 years. And, you know, if I walk out, cross the street today and I get hit by a car, I want to make sure that they have access to the credentials that they need to be able to continue life uh, on this planet. And and this is where I'm looking for guidance, David. I've got good news, Mo. What's the good news? So you there is news. a pass compatible program called GoPass. And what GoPass does, it, it's designed for, I'm, I kid you not. <laughs> I'm looking this up right now on my phone. <laughs> so GoPass is essentially, uh, it, it's the same uh, CLI program that Pass is, yep. but it's designed for multiple GPG keys. Um, I have not used it myself, but uh, I've looked at it. and This uh, is excellent. Cool. Yeah. So... Uh, you'll have to let me know how that uh, turns out. You can put it in the show notes. Um, well, Adia, we have a project this weekend. Uh, sorry, yeah. but cancel your friends. <laughs> so on that, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. Um, MP3. I was actually surprised we chose MP3, and this is a conversation I'd like to have in the future. Um, not not that there's anything wrong oh, with MP3, no, no. Let's, but let's talk I, about it. I want to talk about AUG and Vorbis because these are concepts that I'm aware of. I've had music libraries where I chose, I believe it was AUG because there's lossless and lossy compression. Mm-hmm. And these are things I'd like to get a better understanding of. And maybe we can talk about that. Walk me. There's Okay, there's containers. Mm-hmm. There's audio formats. There's video formats. Can you give me the explain like Mo's 15 thing again about... Okay. <laughs> so... Let's talk about what MP3 yeah, kind of is. What is an MP3? So an MP3, 
let's let's look a little bit about the history of an MP3. So MP3s are very popular, just because they were put in all the equipment. But for the longest time, they were also uh, patent encumbered. And it also helps to know, understand that MP3s were designed around a Suzanne Vega hit, uh, which I, f- I forget the name of the song now, but like it, it's looking for that specific... Um, See if we can embed the YouTube video in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll rickroll them. Go ahead. <laughs> but um, so, I mean, MP3 is by no means perfect, but uh, the benefit is it's sort of universal. And Actually, I believe in the past few years, it is now no longer patent encumbered. Mm-hmm. So for us to use an MP3, I doesn't mean, matter, that, it doesn't matter. It patent expired. Patent is expired. Anyone can use it. And Okay, so MP3 is a compressed audio, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a, the, the innovation that gave it the patent was its, its, its compression. So it can take audio, which, you know, raw audio is typically uh, very large in terms of disk space. Yes. And then it could compress it to a small enough size without losing a certain amount of sound quality. Is is right. that right? Well, because there's um, there, there's a whole lot of audio tricks, but basically, uh, I mean, if you think of the level, uh, the limits of human hearing. So, you know, we talk about CD quality. What is CD quality? Well, um, I believe that's 16 bits um, in each sample, and there's. Uh, it's 44 kilohertz of uh, sound, but that's actually split across um, both the left and the right. Um, and human hearing usually tops out around 20 um, kilohertz. 20 kilohertz. But of course, as people grow older, they sort of lose the high end. So high end, um, it's not as critical as... as uh, the lower end as, as the lower end where the majority are... of people can hear the lower end whereas if you have really good hearing you'll hear the higher end mm-hmm. as a human okay and so uh basically by taking advantage of stuff like that and like okay well most songs are around this you, you can get a much smaller file now there's some artifacts like uh if you've got a very low bit rate um in your mp3 file uh like symbols in a rock sound, uh, track will sound kind of washy, um, mm-hmm. and, and other things. Which, honestly, you know what, folks, don't learn what these artifacts are because once you hear it and understand what it is, it's going to drive you nuts. Because um, you can't not hear it. You can't not hear it anymore. That's all you hear when you. Hear it. <laughs> um, but I want that, David. <laughs> oh no, you don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so you have the MP3 format, and then things like AUG and um, and FLAC. So uh, AUG yes, was okay. AUG was the free implementation, uh, sort of uh, along the same lines as hey, we want to compete against MP3, but be all free, mm-hmm. and that's fantastic. But it was also fairly niche, and then there. Uh, Right, it wasn't um, it wasn't heavily supported in like you know when we used to say MP3 players back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not heavily supported by most like uh, music players even today, and yeah. that's what you mean by niche. Right? Yeah, okay. and uh, even more niche than that is FLAC. With that is its compression, but lossless. So it'll compress it sort of like a gzip. Uh, compression and so when you decompress um, it you get the full file in the full like exactly. nothing's missing nothing is missing so if you if you had like a cd that was very near and dear to you and um you were legally allowed to rip it um so some countries can't but you can rip it to flack and that is 
that that's CD quality all the way through. You're retaining so, every bit. Yeah. So if it's important to keep that for generations, so say it's like, hey, I want to record the sound of my kid's voice and have it forever and never lose any audio quality. FLAC is what you want. Um, okay. And so then there's also Apple. So they've got their ALAC, I believe, is their, their FLAC alternative. And there's a bunch of different formats. But uh, now that MP3 is uh, unencumbered, yeah. It, it's going to be sort of ubiquitous, although there are better formats out. So uh, the corporation, I want to say Fraunhofer, but uh, uh, so even they, they've got new stuff. And they're like, this is way better than MP3 because MP3s were, you know, designed in, I think, the late 80s or the early 90s. Um, it's just better now. But no one cares because MP3s... Everybody's got support for MP3s. There's tons of MP3 libraries. Um just like Signal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everybody's on the uh, big corporate, or not the corporate, but the big giant networks and yeah. not so much on the... Well, and that's if people even care about having their own music anymore. So a lot of folks just now go for stream. And right. and there's certainly a value to that, um, like from from the cost perspective. I mean, it's, it's less of a problem now, but uh, you ended up with those uh, live recordings that you'd get or bands which they put out 20 cds before they broke up but like it was really good cd um yeah that it it helps to think of what are you trying to preserve what quality generally these days like i mean i i've i've got some hearing loss so uh having high fidelity is less important to me now than it was uh years ago but like you can get uh, a very you can go for the highest bit rate mp3 and that will sound great um and so i i think we're using a variable quality mp3 so for that it's like it it figures out where it's important to have uh samples and where it's not so in in those silences between various sentences you know you can oh okay we're, we can get some savings here and there uh what yeah. i like about this discussion is like Obviously, there was some uh, there, there was some th- rationale behind choosing MP3. It wasn't just a de facto. We just we'll just use this, and that's I appreciate this conversation. You mm-hmm. you sharing that like in the end, yeah, it seems like it makes sense. If everyone supports it, it's going to be the easiest to share lovely voices with the the world. So oh that's... yeah, well, and I mean, uh, th- there are some uh, great new formats out. So like the Opus one is, um, which I believe is actually. It's an internet standard. Um, Unfortunately, I don't follow that. uh, I I don't follow the progress as much anymore. You've got infinite time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Some people seem to think so. Didn't you buy that app? (laughs) That's not Uh, funny. I think we're sort of running out of time now, Mo. Um, Anything we should add? There is a website redesign coming up, and... uh, well there's show notes for all the shows and uh yeah if if you enjoy what we're doing uh, reach out to us uh we're always looking for guests and um, and topic ideas and topic ideas Please definitely steer us in the right direction here right so um this episode again brought to you by calgary public library which is great thank you very much should we have like a cool goodbye we'll think of something for the next episode <laughs> <laughs> thank you everyone have a great day Bye bye